Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 137 of Kentucky History and Haunts. My name is Jesse. I am your host, and I feel like I sound a little weird today. I, I'm not sick. I feel fine, but my voice sounds a little deeper than usual. I'm not sure what's going on, but I didn't want to wait to get this episode out because it's been a while, so we're just going to do it. We're going to go for it. Today is another installment of the ongoing series, A Century Ago in Kentucky, and today we are traveling back to December of 1923, which was a very busy time for Kentuckians. Now, I've had several people tell me lately that they listen to the show with their kids. That is music to my ears. I'm so excited. I love that kids are able to enjoy the show. I feel like I don't cuss very often as it is, but I will try to limit it even more And I'll try to be more mindful at the top of all the episodes to give you warnings or a more detailed idea of what to expect in each episode so you can decide for yourselves whether each episode is suitable for your kid. Now, this one does include a couple stories that are fairly violent. A couple of them are actually pretty graphic, um, but they're brief. They don't go into a lot of detail, so uh, you decide there. And then the last thing... I switched gears this time, and instead of using the Courier-Journal archives, I used the Lexington Herald-Leader. So this one might have a slightly different feel to it, although I feel like they're going to end up being very similar. That being said, the last couple months of 1923 were just kind of a nightmare for law enforcement in Louisville. There was a major crime wave, in December especially, not just Prohibition, But several unsolved murders, um, just a lot of violence, people shooting guns into crowds at Christmas parades and stuff. It was it wasn't good. So even though I was using the Lexington paper, a lot of the crime section is still going to be geared towards Louisville. Aside from that, we have a destructive cow, fist fighting judges, a funeral faux pas and even Christmas trees weren't safe from my worst nightmare of the 1920s, the automobile. One other thing I really like about the Lexington Herald-Leader is that they would include random fun facts throughout the newspaper. One of them was that by December of 1923, commercial aircraft had carried 75,268 passengers. Okay, here we go. We'll begin with the prohibition section. Fire thought caused by explosion of still, Louisville. Fire believed by police to have been caused by an explosion of a moonshine still early today, destroyed three tenement houses, a stable, a shed, two wagons, and two horses, and threatened to wipe out the entire tenement house section on Walnut and Madison Streets near Jackson Street. Quick work by firemen checked the flames from reaching other houses in the vicinity. Police said the fire was the second in 24 hours to be caused by a still, the other being on Dundee Road Friday. Former sheriff just played drunk, Newport. J.H. Clark, 55, former sheriff and present director of the Bank of Maysville was arraigned before a jury in police court on a charge of intoxication and was released on bond for further hearing after the jury had disagreed on the case. 
Clark, who was responsible for the raid, which resulted in the arrest of three women and two men and himself by police and operatives of the Burns Detective Agency in Cincinnati, testified he was, quote, playing drunk when the raid was made. Clark is alleged to have been swindled out of $3,100 during a lengthy party at the home of Mrs. Bertha Gordon, who was bound over to the grand jury last week on a charge of uttering a forged check and was named defendant in a suit filed by Clark, who seeks to recover 2,000 of the 3,100, which was alleged to have been taken from him through check transactions. Clark will be arraigned later on the charge of intoxication. This article made me wonder when the portable breathalyzer was invented, how did police know if somebody was actually drunk before then? I'm so glad I looked this up. Turns out an Indiana University, go Hoosiers, Med school biochemist named Rolla Neal Harger invented the drunkometer in the 1930s. It was somewhat portable and it was basically just the police lugging around this small chemistry set. A person could blow into a balloon, they'd mix chemicals in said balloon, and it would change colors. And the darker the color in the balloon, the drunker the person was. This system was used into the 1950s then somebody else invented something more like our modern-day breathalyzer. Personally, I prefer the term drunkometer. We should bring that back. Dry work heavy. 1,433 arrested by federal on charges of breaking prohibition law during 1923 in Kentucky and Tennessee. A review of work of the past year accomplished in Kentucky and Tennessee by the Federal Prohibition Department, made by P. Green Miller, Chief of the Kentucky and Tennessee Divisions, shows that 1,433 persons were arrested on charges of violating the prohibition law in that period. More than two-thirds of this number came from Kentucky, and the bulk of these from the Western District, of which Louisville is the headquarters. The sum total of arrests, brewery cases, permit cases, sale, transportation, and still cases in the Division of Kentucky and Tennessee was higher than any other division in the United States, with the exception of two, Northern Illinois and Southern New York, containing Chicago and New York City. Moving on to the section that I like to call accidents. We'll start with this one. Cow destroys home, Harlan. Wes Riley's home in Fairview was destroyed by fire. The family had eaten supper and had gone calling, leaving the kitchen door open. Muley, the family cow, wandered into the kitchen and upset the kitchen stove with the result that the flames consumed the building. Body fell from coffin, Louisville. In an action for $10,000 damages against DJ Doherty and SJ McElliott, West Market Street undertakers, Mrs. Kate McNally alleged that because of defective handles attached to a coffin in which the body of her son, John Sidney McNally, was placed, the handles became loosened from the coffin 
as it was being lowered into a grave in a cemetery in Marion County, and the body rolled from it, fell into the grave, and was mutilated. The accident, she says, occurred in the presence of herself, husband, and other mourners assembled at the graveside. This one is titled, Ate Himself to Death, Marion County. Magistrate A.S. Hard brought word from the county that Manning Clay died from acute indigestion after having won a wager by eating a peck of apples and other food, making up a bill of $3. Shot to death. Pikeville Barber killed after he cuts off ear of police chief while resisting arrest. December 24th. While resisting arrest, Victor Burnett, a Pikeville barber, was shot and killed Sunday night by James Matney, chief of police, it's alleged, after he had cut off one of Matney's ears during a fight. Matney is reported to be in a serious condition as a result of the loss of blood. Christmas tree felled, Midway. The community Christmas tree on the corner of Bruin and Winter Streets here was struck and knocked over by an automobile, the driver of which is unknown. The committee in charge of the tree and the celebration were forced to erect it again and to rehang the trimmings. Ferry boat drifts in fog, Uniontown. When the cable holding it to the tug parted, the ferry boat crossing from Dade Park, Kentucky was set adrift. 16 motor cars and 21 persons were on the craft. And as it swung in circles down the river, hid by the fog, calls and prayers could be heard by persons along the shores. After drifting for several hours, the boat was caught by gasoline tugs and towed to Henderson. Moving on to what I call the miscellaneous section. We've got a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Starting with Mammoth Cave closed to the public. Mammoth Cave, one of the seven natural wonders of the world, was closed today to tourists and sightseers for the first time, so far as is known, since the Great Cavern was discovered. The cave is in Edmondson County. Announcement of the closing of the cave and Mammoth Cave Hotel was made in newspapers this morning by Judge Albert Covington Jannon, trustee of the Mammoth Cave Estate. His action is the result of the opening some time ago of the new entrance to Mammoth Cave, operated by the Mammoth Cave Development Company. Quote, Thousands of tourists angrily resent being misled as regarding the location and wonders of the cave. The management will seek proper remedy was the trustee's statement in his advertisements, the last sentence being construed as meaning that court action would be resorted to. In the opinion of Eugene Stewart, secretary of the Louisville Auto Club, the action in closing the cave to the public 
will merely hasten the steps which have been in contemplating for years to convert the Mammoth Cave property into a national park. He pointed out that at this time, undoubtedly, hundreds of tourists are on their way to the Wonder Cavern and will be greatly disappointed to find the cave closed. Accidentally shoots guest, Hodgenville. Firing at a bird, Tom Vance accidentally wounded James Creel, his brother-in-law, who had come from Louisville for a hunt. Several shots entered his side and one passed through one cheek into Creel's mouth. Judge in a tilt, Russellville. Judge S.R. Crudson and Dudley Trauber quarreled in the courthouse, but were separated by Sheriff Bruce and F.J. Feltz. Mr. Trauber paid a fine of $5 in cost. It's understood that Judge Crudston will appear before Judge Wade. Bobbed hair blamed, Hickman. Because his wife, Mrs. Maybell Rogers, bobbed her hair, John Rogers, merchant, has left town, it is said. He had warned her if she bobbed her hair, he would leave her, but she didn't think he meant it. He turned his store over to a wholesale grocery company here, sold his auto, bought a ticket for Los Angeles, and departed. Choir on strike as a result of dancing, Covington. As the culmination of months of discussion relative to alleged dancing by several young couples at a choir rehearsal last April, all the 24 members of the choir of the Madison Avenue Baptist Church have given up their places and the church is being served by a voluntary choir. Arraignment of dancing from the pulpit by Reverend Henry D. Allen, pastor of the church, on several occasions coupled with the resignation of Edgar H. Bowman as choir director of the church after four years' service, is said by church officials to have led to the refusal of the choir members to sing further in the church. The entire trouble is said to have begun at a choir rehearsal when, at the home of one of the members of the choir, two young couples are alleged to have danced. According to a member of the choir, nothing was said about the matter until Reverend Mr. Allen denounced dancing and mentioned the fact that it had been reported to him that members of the choir had indulged in dancing at a choir rehearsal. Youngest bride is 13, Lawrenceburg. Miss Geneva Stanforth, 13, married to Harry Britton, 21, comes into the distinction of being the youngest bride to whom a marriage license ever has been issued in this county. Dr. McCormick misquoted Louisville denying that he had promised the appointment of a Negro physician on the State Board of Health 
as he was quoted in a recent news dispatch as having done in an address made at a meeting of the Kentucky Interracial Commission in Louisville, Dr. A.T. McCormick, Secretary of the State Board, declared in a letter sent to newspapers of the state that he never heard such a suggestion and does not approve it. Women meet after corresponding for 47 years. Providence. 47 years ago, a college chum wrote a letter to Miss Ella Montgomery of Providence, Kentucky, which through mistaken delivery went to Miss Ella Montgomery of Wingo, Kentucky, who returned the missive to the rightful owner. While having the same name, the two young ladies were utter strangers, but through the missent letter, a correspondence started between them, which has continued for 47 years with increasing friendship without a meeting between them until the other day when Mrs. J.H. Barnhill, nay Ella Montgomery of Providence, and her daughter, Miss Eva Barnhill, made a visit to Mrs. I.E. Wesson, nay Ella Montgomery of Wingo, Kentucky. Meeting in person for the first time, this friendship, so singularly formed, was only further cemented by the contact of these two excellent ladies who are matrons of the highest standing in their respective communities. Want marriage age raised in Kentucky, Georgetown. Following a talk before the Parent-Teacher Association of the Moorfield High School by Principal E.W. Williams, a resolution was adopted unanimously to petition the General Assembly to change the marriage law of Kentucky in order to raise the marriage age of girls, now 12, and boys, now 14, to 18 years each, that no license be granted until the applicants present a health certificate, the same to become a permanent record, and further that the engagement be announced or published. This is a good try. I'm glad they're thinking about it. Unfortunately, the marriage age in Kentucky was not formally raised to age 18 until, drumroll, five years ago, 2018. Kentucky miners face hardship as work shuts down. Depressed condition of industry is leaving thousands without employment. Men in isolated sections have no place to seek work. Coal miners in Kentucky and other fields are facing hardship and hunger as a result of the depressed condition of the coal industry, according to J.E. Johnson, secretary of the Hazard Coal Operators Exchange, which has headquarters in Lexington. The extent of the closing down of mining operations in the Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, Illinois, and Indiana fields is brought out in a statistical table, which covers the situation up until the first of this month. Since December 1st, in the hazard field alone, 37 of the 131 mines were closed down, and Mr. Johnson pointed out that since that time, others have discontinued operations. Mines which remain open, Mr. Johnson asserted, are not running at anything like their capacity, and many of them are operating on a part-time basis solely for the purpose of furnishing some employment for the men who depend upon mine wages for their support. Describing the conditions in the mining region, 
Mr. Johnson said that many of the mines were so isolated that there was virtually no chance for the men to move on to another place and find employment. Mine shafts are often in some isolated valley and connected with the outside world only by the spur of the railroad, which brings cars and takes the coal away. The Kentucky fields are different from those which are near manufacturing centers, where the men may move on from place to place until they find work. Finally, we have the crime section. And apologies, the traffic at Bowman Field has picked up quite a bit. So if you guys hear the planes going over like once a minute, I am so sorry. Now this first article, I have to admit, I just decided to read it because of the name. Steve McQueen is saved from chair. Governor Morrow commutes sentence of boy and says perhaps in so deciding, he hears voice of God. Following almost a year's consideration of the case of Steve McQueen, Sentenced to the electric chair in Rockcastle Circuit Court for the murder of Isaac Coyle, Governor Morrow today commuted the sentence to life imprisonment in the penitentiary. Quote, There's a voluminous record before me, Governor Morrow declared, in the appeals that have been made for me to spare this boy's life. I know that I hear the voice of humanity, and through that voice, perhaps I'm hearing the voice of God. McQueen and another boy, a few years older than McQueen, named Cornette, killed Isaac Coyle. The two were told the state would be satisfied with imposition of a life sentence upon a plea of guilty. Cornette accepted, but McQueen did not do so. McQueen was 17 years of age at the time of the commission of crime, the governor learned, and since incarceration in jail, has learned to read and write. Hundreds of persons living outside the county and hundreds of men and women in the county petitioned the governor on behalf of McQueen. Quote, I cannot believe that the good of the Commonwealth requires the death of this, bo- this boy, Governor Morrow concluded. I cannot believe that Kentucky desires, nor do I believe the facts justify the death of McQueen in view of the life sentence given Cornette. Many arrests made. Louisville. Police arrested 160 persons here between 6 o'clock Saturday morning and 6 o'clock Sunday morning. The charges included murder, manslaughter, grand larceny, and 40 city ordinance violations. 18 persons were charged with being drunk and 21 with breach of the peace. Most of the city ordinance violations were in traffic cases. Theater is closed, Louisville. The gay lights of Louisville's only burlesque flickered, then went out with a bang. A patrol wagon load of policemen drew up in front of the Gaiety Theater. Crowds were gathering in large numbers when a heavy rope was hauled from the patrol wagon and stretched across the entrance. When asked why the place had been closed, Captain E.A. Larkin answered, quote, why that show would corrupt hell. Cheap Crimes, 
bother Louisville officers who also have three murder mysteries on hands, city combed for suspicious characters. Louisville. With three unsolved murder mysteries, an increase in the number of petty thefts, and a wave of cheap crimes sweeping over the city, Louisville today was being combed by plainclothes men who were ordered to arrest suspicious loiterers, idlers, and the like on charges of vagrancy. This action was determined at a conference between the police and detective departments here Wednesday night. The three murder cases before authorities here are those of Patrolman O.C. Daly, killed by a robber during State Fair Week, Dennis J. Reardon, shot by a bandit early in November, and R.L. Stevens, retired shoeman, shot down near his home by a highwayman last Saturday night. Desperate times call for desperate measures. This next one says, fake search warrants, Louisville. The grand jury has had numerous witnesses before it regarding search warrants and their legitimacy. The evidence considered by the jury tended to show that policemen have been appending fictitious names to warrants. Efforts have been made, it's said, to obtain indictment of several policemen active in obtaining evidence against law violators. Firebug believed escaped lunatic. Belief that a pyromaniac who escaped from the Central State Hospital at Lakeland has been responsible for starting a number of incendiary fires here caused the entire detective and police departments of the 3rd District here today to turn their attention to his capture, following attempts Sunday night to burn two apartment houses, a fire loss of $5,000 to the Dental College of the University of Louisville. Since last Tuesday, 10 of these fires have been lighted. The theory was advanced that the firebug may have malice towards doctors, as practically all the buildings affected are residents or offices of physicians. Crosses are burned. At about midnight Christmas Eve, a large blazing cross was seen burning on a high hill at the end of 2nd Street, which lit up the surrounding country for about an hour. It was said to have been erected by the members of the local Ku Klux Klan as an observance of Christmas, and that a similar one was burned by every Klan organization in the United States at the same hour. Reflection from the ones burned at Georgetown, Cynthiana, and Carlisle were plainly visible in Paris. Day of Violence Five killed and two dangerously wounded in battles near Hazard. Firecracker responsible for one dead volley. Hazard, December 26th. Perry County's toll from Christmas shootings stood today at five dead, one in a dying condition from bullet wounds, and a sixth man in a serious condition in a hospital here. The killed were William Smith, deputy sheriff, a man named Hayes, J.D. Matthews, a barber believed to have come here from Evansville, John Richmond, Negro, and Jerry Dunn. The condition of Dennis Phillips is reported to be serious. Deputy Smith was killed in a pistol fight at the home of Phillips near Glomar, where the officer had gone to quell an alleged disturbance. Phillips, wounded by Smith, escaped but later surrendered. 
Meantime, reports of Smith's death reached here and deputies John Smith, Davidson, and James Witt started for Philip's home. As the trio of deputies passed through Carl's, a firecracker is said to have exploded at their feet. Believing they had been fired upon, the officers were said to have directed a volley into a store operated by Jerry Dunn. A bullet passed through the storekeeper's body and struck Matthews, killing the latter. When the firing ceased, a survey of the buildings disclosed the body of Hayes. The fifth man slain, John Richmond, was killed by James Workman, it is charged, with a shotgun when the victim attempted to enter Workman's home when the latter had told him to stay away. Last but not least, we have an article titled Yuletide Bribes from Louisville. The most pretentious effort ever made by the underworld to undermine the police department with Christmas gifts has failed, for the greater part at least, Colonel Forrest Braden declared. Four police captains, three lieutenants, and a number of patrolmen and detectives have been the recipients of valuable presents donated by operators of soft drink stands, handbook men, and resort keepers, and in every instance the policemen, according to Colonel Braden, have come to headquarters voluntarily, opened the packages in the presence of their chief, and returned the presents to the donors. That brings us to the end of this installment of A Century Ago in Kentucky. Please be sure to leave a review or rating on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. That could be your Christmas gift to me. If you're sending out holiday cards, I would love to receive one. You can send them to my work address, 9115 Leesgate Road, Suite A, Louisville, 40222. I'll put it in the show notes. If you'd like to receive a holiday card from me, you can email your mailing address to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com or message me on social media. I run all of the social media accounts, so anything you send there, I get them directly. There's no one else managing them or looking at them. If you have topic suggestions, you can also email those to the aforementioned address. I am pretty backed up with suggestions and ideas that are already somewhat in the works, but I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon, so keep them coming. Thank you for listening. Happy holidays. Until next time.